Eternal Dirtles is a Hipsters of the Coast podcast sponsored by Paragon City Games and Bearded Dragon Games. You can support us at patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. Welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Nathan Golia. Phil's out this week. Yeah, Phil's in merry old England. Yeah, Phil is getting in England, ready getting to uh, Birmingham, right? Typical. Yeah, no, uh, we we uh, tried to contact him, but it's like 2 a.m. where he is, so <laughs> we can't do that. Phil's, Phil's taking a nap. Yeah, Phil's taking a nap. Um, But we do have a guest tonight. We've yeah. got uh, Matt Hackbert. From uh, Arizona, who's a local Arizona player. Matt, I met at uh, Grand Prix Seattle for the first time off the internet, right, Matt? You did. You were. That was the first time we'd met. I believe than, so. Other Before than that, chat. you've mostly seen me like harassing the Paragon City Games guys in their chat. Yeah. So <laughs> such we places. have. Yeah, we have some fun out in the Mountain West uh, playing Magic and playing Legacy. So um, we wanted show, to have. Man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Wanted to have Matt on to talk about the Turbo Depths deck. You played that to an 11-4 finish at the Grand Prix, uh, which was a while in the in the past now. But uh, this deck has been increasing in popularity. We've we've tra- been tracking that, right, Zach? It's, we see more of these Turbo Merit Lage decks. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that going around these days. But before we get into that, and we'll talk about a couple of things, I just wanted to, why don't you give us the view from Arizona and tell us a little bit, well, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with Legacy uh, and uh, your experience with Magic, and also, and then a little bit about playing in Arizona, what some of the unique things you guys got going on there. I know it's kind of a big question, but... <laughs> well, yeah, well, we'll just sort of hit, hit the points one at a time. So, uh, kind of starting with my Magic experience, uh, I started out as a, uh, you know, a quote, filthy casual back in 97, starting with nothing but a fifth edition starter deck nice. and eventually finding some, uh, finding some friends um, at the middle school. I saw them playing, you know, on the, the uh, cafeteria tables and started to just get into that. But it was all very, very casual. Nobody was particularly competitive. And that kind of continued up through uh, even through my move to Georgia and uh, through a couple of years of high school, you know, building fun decks of Scalp Alexis plus many clones to uh, do uh-huh. terribly, terribly bad things. Um, then uh, kind of dropped out of Magic for a little while um, when I moved to a different high school. And then eventually I came back around in 2005, kind of around the Ravnica City of Guilds, Guild Pact era. It's a good time to jump in, yeah. It was a very, very cool time to jump in. There was a guy in my dorm room uh, here at ASU. That's Arizona State University for those playing the home game. And uh, he took me to an FNM. I got I played with some, I don't even know, some blue-red deck or something uh, on the tail end of Kamigawa being legal. And that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I kind of found my, uh, my home as a red mage uh, for quite a while, all the way up through World Wake, um, where I left the game again. I moved in with my wife, moved to the other side of town. No car, kind of is a good recipe for not really playing Magic anymore. Um, and then that sort of stayed quiet on the Magic front until 
about a few months working for Intel, uh, now I had some some money behind me, some financing, and I decided that it was a good life choice to stop playing Eve Online, and so <laughs> yeah, it seems like I'd be, a good life I, choice. I, I, yeah, I decided to uh, to really get into playing like the F and M's and stuff very competitively, and so I'd read I would read articles. Uh, it was still hard not to uh, lean sort of aggro for a little while. I played a lot of like mono black aggro in like the Ravnica Theros type of stuff. Right mm-hmm. when I came back, I was playing a the uh, Jeskai colored Niv uh, Niv Magus Elemental Artful Ooh. Dodge. Oros charm you Ooh. nonsense. It was. I put that in legacy, by the way. I, it was I, I actually. It was intense. <laughs> <laughs> um, you get to you get to see the fear in their eyes when they're like, "That's how much damage." That's, yeah. Um, and I played standard pretty much exclusively. A little smattering of modern here and there, uh, up through Shadows over Innistrad when I finally had my green white, uh, my green white tokens deck built. I had all my Avicens and everything and. Nobody showed up to standard that day, huh. so uh, they were also doing legacy that day. And somebody was like, "Hey, I can loan you a deck," and I was like, "Sure, throw me what you got." And he hands me Manalus Dredge. Oh man! And well, now I've been playing for you know since '97, yeah, and I've yeah, got yeah. a pretty good pretty good rules knowledge. I used to be a rules advisor, you know, brushed off <laughs> back in the day. Um, so like I'm I'm thumbing through this. I'm like, oh yeah, I know what all these cards do. I see how they interact. Sure, we'll see how it goes. I won one game out of four matches, um, <laughs> uh, and it was uh, it was it was a well played game too. The one I won, I, was, I remembered a cycle of street wraith in response to my dude getting eaten by a deathrite shaman. Yeah, and then I got caged. I think every other game for the rest of the night. So uh, the next <laughs> week, I'm like, I'd like to borrow something different, please. Yeah, yeah, what happened was everyone at the <laughs> store knows that that guy lends out dredge, so they always have crap figures cage on <laughs> <Yes>. their sideboard. <laughs> As is their right and privilege. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, I used to loan out Burn, was mine, cause, but I would play decks like, you know, Elves and Nick Fit and uh, what's it called? And then when I, I would loan out Burn when I played Depths, and that was not really playing fair. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I, I was on Elves for a while. Um, that was kind of my first real deck. I uh, started with, you know, one Cradle and Crop Rotations and slowly uh, kind of put my Intel money against the against the deck until I was playing with a full deck. And then uh, played that for a while. Uh, I posted, uh, I think my first sort of bigger tournament was a, I think we had 33 people for, was a, one of the last uh, SCG IQs that we had in the Valley they don't really like the West Coast, so yeah, uh, we don't run them either. Yeah, and I and I was I got eleventh place out of those thirty-three, and so I was really proud of that with the elves. Um, after a while, though, I did decide to keep branching out, um, and I discovered the Scapewish Nick Fit deck, mm-hmm. and that was a lot of fun. And I played that for quite a while, and then I discovered I, I was kind of on the Bayou train, as you can tell. So I team Fancies. Sure. Sure. Well, I, 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 not team force of will yeah yeah um so eventually i found my way to depths and i fell in love with it like pretty much as soon as i sleeved it up and started playing with it it was definitely my speed i'd been a combo player through most of my uh most of my career on the casual side i was a little more aggro leaning during sort of that mid period but this still was a pretty aggressive combo uh so to speak 
Mm-hmm. And so I uh, just the way it played out, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it's always a blast to just 20 people in the face right yeah. away. So I played that for a while. And then I don't remember exactly what point I switched over. I saw Tom Hepp's uh, Negator 77 is what he goes by. I saw his version of the deck that was a bug version with Mox Diamonds and had some brainstorms. And I don't know, it, was, it played at a kind of a different speed. I kind of liken it to, you know, you've got your, you got your very straightforward, like, you know, the, kind of the Mustang maybe is yeah. the, the black green version. But then the bug version was like a Ferrari. Like it's still very, it's just as powerful in some cases more powerful, but it just, it's at a different speed and it, and uh, you can't just get in a Ferrari and go. You have to kind of play with it a little while to get used to it. I've seen, and so I think that's why I, I, me and Tom are probably the only guys who have really stuck with the bug archetype. And everybody else just kind of like they try it and they're just like, eh, not for me. Yeah, so. I, I, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, it's I just figured it was for the just for, it's just for the fluster storms and the brainstorm. I'm looking at it. Right? And stifle. And then one stifle, yeah. <laughs> That you, that miser stifle gets some people. Oh, I tell yeah. you what. <laughs> um, great. We'll post our list, the, the list that we're talking about in the show notes too. Um, I did want you to talk a little bit about, you know. Uh, by the way, you had mentioned I didn't know this until after I booked you on the show. <laughs> but I, you had said something in in some Discord or something that we were together about your legacy knowledge only goes back to Eldritch Moon. But I thought you had been playing a lot longer, so it's interesting that you only got to it. I guess what was that last year? Uh, so legacy, you've been uh, really no, no. diving Elder in. Elder Twin was 2016. 2016. Well, what, I don't know what year it is, so good. How far um, did your <laughs> legacy knowledge go back, Nate? Uh, like 2011. 2011. Right? All right. 2012, maybe. I I was playing 1.5 when Gorilla Shaman was the, was was the card to play, but I oh, I, was, <laughs> I took a very long break. <laughs> yeah, well, we both had the very long breaks. Yeah, yeah. No, and I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it to be snarky because I no, knew. No, no, I knew yeah, I, no. I was just wondering. <laughs> you know, like I was like, while we're while we're on the subject, I don't think either one of us has ever talked about how how uh, we you know got into legacy specifically or how long we've been playing legacy. So that would be and, an interesting point to bring up. Is like you know I played back when Urnum Jin and Serendib were were legit cards to play in the format, and you could still play a Soul Ring. Um, yeah, right. But uh, you oh, know, geez, Sol Ring was legal at one point. Yeah, oh, I mean, you, it was basically <laughs> one point five was basically, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's it called it was it there was there was type one, type one point five, and type two, and nobody played type one point five really. You had people who played type one, uh, and then people who played with no rules, and then people who played <laughs> type two, because this is like right. right this was during. The uh, the pro tour where like you had to play five homelands cards in your deck. Like, oh jeez. <laughs> so so it, I mean that's I, I we didn't play I didn't play it like a lot but like you know like being able to go turn one, uh turn one soul soul ring turn two surrender of free with spirit link on it was the way to go. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah we we go we go back to that but like in terms of our commitment to legacy Zach and I are both around the same time 2011. Yeah. I think uh, maybe Zach's a little earlier than I'm, that. I'm a little later actually. Uh, w- when I started playing, because uh, I came back in 2012, and I probably started oh, yeah. playing Legacy in like 2013. After Theros came out, I I basically abandoned Standard completely and went and went full on into Legacy. Yeah, I only remember 2011 being when I came back to Magic because uh, I came back because I was up late with my son one night when he was a baby. He was born in June 2011, and uh, I. Uh, 
was up late reading the New York Times while trying to get him back to sleep, and there was an article about the 20-sided store in Brooklyn. May it somewhat rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, hey, I want to go check this out on my off, you know, when I have a day off, uh, baby time. And I went, and it was Commander release day. So they were like, okay, well, you got to buy a Commander deck, and that's what we're doing here. And I thought that Commander was just how people played Magic from now on. <laughs> and it was, so I was like, I recognize... Oh. The darkest timeline. Like, <laughs> well, I, I was just like, oh, like, because well, the thing about Commander was that I knew some of the cards because yeah. the, even the pre-cons had stuff I recognized from years ago. Yeah, so of course. anyway, that's a that's a bit of an aside. The, the reason, Matt, though, that you know, I know I've seen you. You're very active in a number of the legacy uh, chats and communities, and I didn't. I was shocked to hear that it had been, you know, only a a, a few, couple of years now. And I just wanted to know, like, because I, I also know that Arizona has a very strong legacy scene uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, sort of high-level events, you know, high-level regional events. In fact, when I moved to Utah, I didn't know if Utah had legacy. I thought I'd be going down to Arizona to play. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how things are going down there? I, you guys still do that legacy championship series and all that kind of stuff uh, in the area. Yeah, so we've got uh, – our eternal scene is very good. We have uh... – we have a number of stores that help participate in sort of some larger tournaments that feed into this end of year championship series uh, for legacy. I think we I thought we maybe had one for vintage that one. Uh, somebody will have to correct me later on that one. I know we do a vintage league uh, with proxies as well as a legacy league in parallel with the, the, the legacy series. Mm-hmm. So, and, and those are both proxy or the, uh, the, the leagues are proxied, at least to some number, to help some of the people that maybe more they do more modern, but they still have a, a deep card pool. They can proxy, say, you know, the duels or other ex- other expensive things that uh, that uh, make it prohibitive, especially now with some of these uh, price <laughs> yeah. spikes. Got to proxy, got to proxy that humility. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I oh always my tell people that uh, that it's it's actually cheaper to play vintage than it is to play legacy if you if you have a store that does does like 15 card proxy you can you can play for for you know almost what a modern deck costs yeah it's yeah, certainly right. getting that way for sure um, um but yeah so like in the in, in the valley here we've got um let's see i know there's one store that holds legacy three times a week uh they do like a monday thursday and then they do like a friday fnm we have another store that's um, starting to pick up some Legacy Days. They're overlapping a little bit, so we'll see how that goes. And then there was a store that was doing it Sunday afternoons, um, and we'll see how we'll see how that continues to go. Yeah, well, so that, we've got a little. There's a little bit of schisming happening in some of the Legacy scene, but I think uh, I think over time that'll heal itself back over. Yeah. Well, you're getting but, a lot of players, and I think that's the important part. You know, yeah. When uh, we've had our uh, when we've had our big Legacy tournaments, the uh, sort of the the city champs as we call them uh we're getting 50 plus people oh wow that's good so we can get a we can get a good solid six rounds uh plus a top eight for those great so it's uh it's very exciting and we actually uh we do cover those too we have a we have a channel on twitch and we try to try to stream stream stuff for those we've got some guys with some some good webcams and stuff that we can get set up on those yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for those of you who live are who are living in areas there, there's not a lot of other nearby cities. You know, being able to build the legacy scene is not easy, and a lot of people work really hard to do it. That's what the case. It's been in Utah with Paragon and all the guys there, growing what we've had. So, uh, you know, it's just I just like to point out these other areas that are doing it as well. 
you know, despite the headwinds, like a, you know, $200 humility. Uh, yeah. Well, luckily, <laughs> humility's not used in too many decks. But. I know, right? I just, that was the latest one. You know, last time we did the show, I was putting card prices up on the shared screen, and Phil was reacting because he hadn't seen them. That was great radio. Yeah. <laughs> we oh, wanna, yeah we're going to bring luckily, that back. I hope he doesn't see it while he's in England. It'll be fun when he comes back. Well, let's get to the topic that we uh, wanted to bring you on for to talk about Turbo Depths. I mean, you talked a little bit. You, were, you referred to... Uh, black green and bug and bug builds, but let's start with um, just positioning of this deck, this general strategy. And then, well, let's actually start early on. Maybe you could just put it in your own words. What is the what do you think makes a deck a turbo depths deck versus just some other sort of you know merit lages in this deck like lands or maverick or something? What makes it turbo depths? What are some of the the things that uh, define the deck? Okay, um, yeah, because this will kind of differentiate because bug depths even sometimes doesn't feel as turbo. So what makes it turbo, generally speaking, I found is, so you, you've got to be, your deck's plan needs to be all in on trying to make a Merit Lage more or less as fast as possible. So the key things you're going to see, you're going to see maxed out Hex Mages, you're going to mm-hmm. see maxed out Thespian Stage, you're going to see maxed out Dark Depths. Another good indicator is that there's going to be some number of Urborg, Tomb of Yawgmoth, and then some kind of fast mana. In the black-green build, you're seeing that from Lotus Petal and the Spirit Guides. From the Bugs side, you're seeing that out from the Mox Diamonds. Yeah, that's a big, interesting difference, too, So between the two builds. I didn't realize that until just now when you sent the lists. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we would agree there that, like, the Turbo Depths deck is this is this is what we're doing. It's disruption, mana, and combo, just almost like right. any other combo deck, right? It's not a secondary plan. Um, so, what what do you think? How do you think this is positioned right now? I mean, this deck I played against it four times in a row recently uh, on on a stream, and that was tough because I had a really bad matchup. But it seems very well positioned. I mean, we're seeing it creep up uh, into the top decks that we see on Goldfish or whatever. What are you, what are you, what are some of the best matchups that this deck has? So I think if the meta if the meta game that you're seeing is mostly things like the Delver variants and sort of the pile or bug control type variants, then this is going to be a very very solid deck choice. Most of those decks don't have very efficient ways to deal with the Merit Lage, especially since the green black deck. Uh, I guess it would be approximately a year ago started mm-hmm. integrating the sylvan safekeeper uh over the not of this world it made the deck a lot more resilient to the edict effects and we've seen decks like the delvers and the piles start playing uh even sometimes main deck edicts and it still is not quite enough to turn the matchup in their favor unless the depths pilot is very inept or the <laughs> or the uh delver pile player is very lucky I think a good depths player can outplay those matchups with relative ease. Yeah. If you're seeing uh, on the flip side, if your meta game is a lot of swords to plowshares, you're gonna have a, or even um, lands isn't a bad matchup, contrary to what probably a lot of lands players think. Uh, there's a lot of play to that matchup. It's, um, but like if you're seeing a lot of swords to plowshares um, and swords to plowshares plus wasteland decks like Maverick and Death and Taxes, or a lot of Moon Stompy, you're gonna you're gonna have a bad time. 
Really like I've fun. actually haven't played. I haven't played Depths in a lot of local events lately for that reason. That there's a lot of there's a lot of Maverick and Death and Taxes um, floating around the valley. That's interesting. I, I've I've been big on trying to get Swords to Plowshares in some sort of non Miracles deck for a while now. And uh, I did notice, I do feel like the Esper Mentor deck that, that we were playing, that Phil's going to be playing it in uh, in England, uh, is like that. And I've always felt it had a good matchup against this kind of deck. But yeah, I think you're right pretty much. Otherwise, like, you can't really lean on Edicts against this deck very well, mostly because of the hand disruption, which can be just absolutely brutal at yeah. times. I mean, I've been hand disrupted and then just gotten beaten to death with a Hex Mage. <laughs> it, it does happen. Um I've even had to against lands. I've uh, I think I was I was playing the regular black green version one time against the guy who is normally on depths, but he played lands, and I had to surgical out his curse and grips and his loams, and then his barbarian ring was too far down in his deck, and I decked him. <laughs> Good luck. Because there was because I couldn't even beat with hex mages and spirit guides because he had like five mazeviths. Between his <laughs> stages and his ma- and his regular mazes, I just yeah. nothing could get through, and he couldn't. And we both had Caracas. Everything's needled, <clears> but Caracas, so nobody can do anything. And I just I got lucky that his barbarian rings were too far down. I think I think that's actually a good point to bring up. Is uh, you know I I I don't claim to know much about this deck or lands, and so generally when I see either one of these decks, I group them into the same pile of what I'm supposed to do against these decks. And there's obviously a huge difference. Like, we kind of discussed that last week on the cast about, like, uh, cards you see that, like, are definitely in one deck and definitely not in the other deck. And 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 uh, I, I guess what I'm asking here is, um, what are the main differences between this and lands? Okay, so they're both, you know, so this is primarily a combo deck, whereas lands is, you know, a lot of times thought of as a combo prison kind of split. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that you have to uh, and they attack and they try to sort of if they're going to do the Merit Lage plan, Lands is going to try to shove it across with a different kind of vehicle. They're going to be attacking your mana base to keep you from being able to answer the Merit Lage versus the Depths deck is going to attack your hand to try to keep you from being able to deal with the Merit Lage. Uh, or if you're trying to stop them with Wasteland or Ghost Quarter effects, the Depths deck has to rely on things like the Pithing Needle to stop that particular avenue. Or they have to get patient and be clever with their stages, uh, yeah. making their own uh, Ghost Quarters and Wastelands to try to outmaneuver you. Yeah. I mean, one of the main things that I noticed uh, between the two decks is that you do not run Life from the Loam. Correct. Uh, and so that that's a card that if I had been playing against you in, in a match uh, a month ago, I would have been worried about life in the loam. And, and uh, you know, there's a certain amount of, of, of time when you're playing against a deck that's playing life in the loam where you just kind of give up because you know it's going to happen. You know, they're going to yeah. oh, they're going to get their <laughs> thing. Sure. But um, with, against this deck, one of the one of the things I've noticed is that uh, if you're able to tempo them out over the course of a couple turns, you're only going to get so many dark depths. Uh, you know, like possible dark depth triggers. So if you're able to stop that right, from happening, right. you know, four times, right? But like, if you're able to stop that from happening, the number of times they have them, generally they're not going to go like you know infinite with uh with life from the loam. So that's that's a point of attack that uh, a rug delver deck might be able to make against a, a deck like this. 
Yeah, it's it's like against most combo decks, right? If you can have if you can disrupt the sort of the first combo attempt while having a threat in play, you're going to be very dangerous to yeah. the combo deck. Mm-hmm. Um, versus lands, right? Lands can just put they can they can put the combo back together much more reliably um, than either of these turbo versions, the the black green or the bug. But the black green and the bug can two they have more resilient ways i would say to tutor out the pieces than something like lands lands is going to try to flip them over with loam or they're going to try to gamble for them but it's a little bit less reliable than just cracking a map or playing a sylvan scrying just getting the piece yeah that would actually be something to uh we can jump into unless zach you wanted to follow up on that point no 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 uh, I was gonna say, well, one, why not play Life from the Loam? Maybe we should just maybe we should just close out that point. Why doesn't this deck play Loam or Ramanop Excavator or Crucible Worlds or we've seen that at times, but not in a lot of these. So it's it's something that I've seen some people experiment with here and there. I think the idea is is just that it it kind of puts the you know, I kind of talked about these decks almost like they are cars before. It's almost puts the deck in to sort of the wrong gear, uh-huh. I think sometimes. Um, if that's your only, uh, if it's your only plan of attack to try to rebuild, sometimes you're going to flip over things that you're going to need. Like if, I don't know, I, I, I've not seen, the, uh, yeah. the, I've not, I've not seen the other uh, people that play the deck really experiment with that. They, uh, they tend to be a little bit more jam happy and a little bit less trying yeah. to grind games out. They're more likely to, I guess another way to put it is they're, the way the deck plays is a little bit less like jam as fast as possible and then do you use something like Loam to try to put it back together versus start to put the pieces together and maneuver for a spot where you only have to do it once. Yeah. Yeah, I think that th- that is sort of the main difference between between lands and, and turbo depths is that when when you go for it, the idea is that your opponent is not going to be able to answer this this uh this twenty twenty. Um, whereas, whereas Loam is like, I'll just keep doing it until you, you can't deal with it anymore. Yeah, that's little, and you can't really lean on that in the same way because the other person tends to have lands in play, unlike against, like a deck like, for example, actual lands. Interesting. How about the tutor package? In in the, what you sent us, um, there's this expedition map into the north split, uh, you know, and or, uh, thing you have here. Also, we've seen Living Wish in some of these things. Uh, let's, let's actually, I want to rope in one of uh, Phil's questions from across the pond here, because uh, he said that he was interested in whether or not this is like a stock list now, or is it still evolving? I mean, we've seen a, I've seen a lot of different cards in those slots. We've seen Living Wish do well. We've seen Into the North, and some people have strong, very strong opinions. I found in reading the depths they, forums they about do, it. They the do. <laughs> um, so, like, what's your, what, where do you fall in that debate? Do you think that expedition map is just the best thing to be doing? So. So the so the tutors in total, right? We've got our crop rotations and we've got Sylvan scrying, and for the most part, nobody really questions the inclusion of either of those. The crop rotation is the best tutor we have because it's instant speed, and in general, we don't mind losing a land to be able to get the combo because we're going to KO them if we yeah. can combo. Yeah, the game is over. Right. <laughs> uh, whether that, whether that's getting a combo piece or getting a protection piece or something like a bajuka, you know, one of our utility lands that furthers the ability to either make the opponent not be able to play their their aspect of their deck or where 
or we're going to KO them with a Merit Lage. And then Sylvan Scrying kind of does the same thing. It's just the next best one. It's just a little s slower. Mm -hmm. uh, the Expedition map is sort of the, or the Into the North is sort of the, it's the, it's the third string tutor. Yeah. And for most of us, we really prefer the Expedition map. Uh, a lot of that comes from Into the North was used to be sort of the uh, the tutor du jour for that spot because a lot of decks used to run Chalice in the sideboard and there was kind of a non-bow running the map alongside Chalice. Whereas yeah. Into the North, you can you just go around it. And, but, but if it you're playing... Sorry, go oh, on. I'm sorry, it can't get both halves of the combo. Is that the problem? The, the other thing is, so that's a big part, right, is that Into the North only gets the Dark Depths or it gets your basics. Um, it also means that you have to play Snow-Covered Basics, which can telegraph perhaps more. Back when the deck was more of an unknown quantity, uh -huh. one of the easy ways to identify that somebody was on was like, oh, if they go Into the North or if they, if they crack a fetch and get a Snow-Covered Forest, you're like, oh, I know what you're doing now. Um, yeah, if they cast into the north, you're like definitely pretty sure what's going yeah, on. Yeah, but a snow-covered uh, forest into a duress or a snow-covered swamp into a duress is definitely was definitely right. Right, that's very north. suspect. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that um, rampant growthing the uh, using engine to the north is a rampant growth for, to get your dark depths into place so you can combo a turn sooner. Um, while that's nice, it putting the land into play and then having to pass the turn is really dangerous because if your opponent just you know untaps drop wasteland and nukes it then you know that was basically two mana for nothing yeah so versus the expedition map um you can kind of it's one of those again you don't need to crack the expedition map necessarily right away um a lot of times you can wait end of turn crack it for because you may not know if you know you may want that expedition map to get a sajiri step you might need it to be able to get a Bajuka Bog, or you know, you can end up turn, get your stage, your depths, and then go off. Yeah, Zach, have you ever, uh, have you ever, um, you ever echoing truth the Merit Lage, and they they cast, uh, they cast crop rotation, just know it's going to be Sajiri Step, and you want to just crawl into a hole. I've never had <laughs> to worry about Sajiri Step ever. Uh, it's never, it's really? never happened to me. I have only really? lost to about four. Uh, <laughs> four merit lages in my life and and nate can attest to the fact that like one time i almost gave up but i drew a golden drake like right in front of him and, and slammed it down on the board and the guy was like what is this i was like uh you can hold on to this i'm just gonna take this token and put it on my side of the board but yeah i i i've, I've not often lost yeah. to, to lost oh yeah the, yeah <laughs> there's not as much of it in uh, i should say there's not as much of it in new york as there is uh in utah and uh in other places i've noticed Playing, but yeah Playing wastelands I'm, 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 and slayfuls, you tend to you tend to not have to worry about th this particular deck, but like it can it can sneak up on you. Yeah. If you want if you want the super hot tech that uh, one of my one of my local guys wants the Delver players to start playing is dominate. Ooh. Oh, is that? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Instant speed, blue yeah. blue one X, gain gotcha. control of target creature with converting mana cost X or less. I think. The, yeah, the better that's that's better than a true name nemesis as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Same with the mana flash. cost. Yeah, don't spread that around too much, though. I don't. I don't want people dominating my my uh, merit lages. <laughs> well, don't, don't worry. No one listens to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. Well, okay, that's great. And like, so uh, we didn't talk about Living Wish, but is Living Wish just? I mean, we've seen. We've had it. It's 
it's had a reasonable Let's amount see. of success. Um, so Eli Cassis, he won, what was it, an Eternal Extravaganza Yeah, last yeah I've played year, in that tournament, yeah. Um, with the Living Wish. Uh, it was like, it had a, it was a slower build. It's one of those, uh, I, I hesitate, because that one was running Deathrite Shaman as well, I think. Yeah, he might have had two or something. I, I, I don't remember like exactly the texture of that list, but. That deck, I, I hesitate to call it Turbo. When you start including the Living Wish, um, you're almost moving a little bit more towards a black-green lands type of build because you're, like I said, you're kind of downshifting, right? Yeah. You're, you're going to be able to put the combo, kind of like how the Bug one kind of downshifts from the black-green. You are able to put the combo together more reliably. Like, you're, you don't have as many... Uh, hands that can't make a combo, but you're gonna your combo turn is gonna be later on. Yeah. So instead of being able to jam more turn two combos, you're gonna be able to more reliably combo on say turn three or four. Yeah. yeah. Sort of a sort of a test versus ant comparison maybe, um, where you can either you can jam quicker with tests, but you can sculpt hands with ant. It's kind of a similar similar kind of play and. I think if you're trying to be turbo, Living Wish is not where you want to be. Same thing with uh, we've seen some people trying out uh, Bob's and Deathrite Shaman, and I just I think that's trying to move it towards a different archetype almost. It's like you're trying to be a more of a mid range deck that kind of oopses into Merit Lages sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that too because like it's one of those deck. This is this seems like one of those decks where. You draw your opening seven, and you're like, well, I don't play this deck to not keep this hand, right? Right. You know, it, whereas, like you're saying, like, it seems like people are trying to solve a problem when the answer is actually should be, you should just play the stock list and mulligan more. Right. Or something. Yeah, I think people don't mulligan nearly enough with this deck. You can you can go down to, like, if you go down to Hex Mage, Depths, Urborg, like, if your opponent doesn't have the disruption, that hand can, can get there. Yeah. You, yeah. Top, you top deck a Duress or a Thoughtseize, you take their one piece of interaction, and they just die. So, Zach, did you want to react to any of that before we move on to another segment? I want to make sure I want to make sure I give you a chance to. Uh, no, no, I, yeah. I'll, I'll jump. I'll jump in when I have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just taking it all in right now. I'm like, yeah. this is this is a gray zone for me. It's it's a it's a part of it's a part of legacy that I don't often see. So it, it's pretty interesting to to get insight into this side of the in, in the side of the meta. Uh, Matt, let's talk about uh the bug build. So let's. Okay. Let's talk about, like, what's, um, hmm. This deck has 28 lands and four Mox Diamonds, whereas the stock list, we're looking at 23 lands. It only has four Hex Mages as creatures. It plays four Brainstorm. And it only plays three Sylvan Scrying in addition to the four Crop Rotation. It looks like you got a couple maps, too. Um, but you're making, so what this deck does that's really different, I, th- I would say from a quick look at it, is it has more lands. Because it has more land to use Mox Diamond for acceleration, you're going to have more hands with, with a lot of land and a Mox Diamond. Uh, and you cut down on some of these other... You cut down some fast mana and with the Spirit Guides, and you cut down some protection with the Sylvan Safekeeper. What is the bug... What is the bug build... Um, I guess why I was just saying... Like, I don't want to say, like, how is it different, but, like, what, what right, makes those right. choices... What, why would you make those choices is, there's, is the right what do you, so, what is, so, what is it, so I'm gonna try to do Tom Hep justice here. Um, <laughs> so, because he's the he's really the uh, the innovator of this particular version. And like I said, 
not really many people besides me and him have really latched on to the way that this one plays. So this one, uh, kind of like I was alluding to before, the black-green one kind of is a little bit better at shoving. This one kind of wants to... This one plays a lot more where you, you kind of pick a spot. You're going to make you're going to make your land drops. You're going to you're going to kind of met out your uh, your discard effects, and you can use the brainstorm to help fix hands that would have been uh, that would be bad. So, like for example, in the black green version, sometimes you get stuck with a bajuka bogger, say jury step in your hand, in a situation where you really needed to be able to crop rotation it out. A uh-huh. brainstorm can fix that. Yeah. So you have a few more fetches. So this, I think the list that I sent you that I played in Seattle, we had seven fetches and versus the four that you have in the black green version. So, well, I guess let's, let's just, is it, is it just a play style preference or is there some sort of, of way people attack the turbo depth deck that this is less, is more resilient to, or just like, I want more control over what's in my hand. So I think it's a little bit more of wanting to sort of, you know, uh, guide your destiny a little bit more, kind uh-huh. of like you're saying. Um, and I think a bit of a play style. I think the people that um, are able to play the black green deck with a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, you cheat. I think it can, it can amplify that because um, you have access to the the brainstorms, so you can take those hands. Whereas you're crafting your the rough edges of that, and you also have access to things like most people are not going to expect the stifle out of this. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah we can talk about and, that now. One and stifle, you even, and you can even confuse people where like you can have hands where. You could lead you know, the same kinds of hands where you go Urborg, Thoughtseize, Dark Depths, Hex Mage. They've never even seen a blue card in your deck. Uh-huh. And then do we, things like the brain, things like the Stifle and out of the sideboard, the Flusterstorms, can oh, just yeah. KO people that don't see them coming. Yeah. Do you bring in the Flusterstorms against, against fair decks, or is that like a Storm sideboard card? So or- Flusterstorm is very good at countering Diabolic Edict. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that it is something that um, it's very easy to sort of level zero. Oh, that's that's for against combo. Yeah, yeah. But there is a lot of application elsewhere for it. The other neat thing what about would you... this deck is that uh, you can start off with Misty Rainforest, stifle your fetch, and your opponent is on a completely different plan against you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You fetch out your trop yeah. and you stifle them, and they're just oh like, oh, no. God. I'm playing. I'll, I'll be honest though. I'll be honest with you though. The, you I have <laughs> so very. I have so rarely uh, used the stifle in that manner because mm-hmm. we're like we're not lands and of we're course. not delver. Yeah, we're yeah. not trying to attack your mana. That and would be that, that would be a waste. Of, a waste of a card that's probably a, a lot better in a lot of other places, right? I mean, the number of times I've stifled a wasteland, a ghost quarter, or a Caracas activation, or a maze activation, and the opponent's just flabbergasted. Oh yeah. It's beautiful. That is an interesting point, though, about Stifle. I mean, we think of it as this mana denial card, but it's a protection spell in this deck. Yes, it in is. A way. There are a lot of, of those activated abilities. Yeah. So, do you? If, would you trim some of the discard if you're bringing? If you let's say you're playing against a deck, we're like, oh, they're gonna have Diabolic Edict. Are you trimming the discard and just like that's what their plan is? So, 
I'll let's let him see. draw it and fluster it. So I like I I like to sideboard on the fly. I'm not really much one for sideboard guides. Oh. Um, so <laughs> I love a good sideboard guide. You're like a lot of time, like, a lot of times I'm a lot of times I'm, what I do is I kind of have to figure out the texture of what the mana is going to look like. If I think that I'm going to be bringing in um, non-blue things, because there's some matchups where the brainstorms get shaved, and I'll often shave a mox diamond and some number of like the gemstone mines. Uh huh. Is kind of how how I go about that. So, but if I'm bringing in the fl- if I'm bringing in so sorry, repeat the question. <laughs> so, no, I'm just asking like what what, 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 what do you bring in the fluster storms for? What you know, are you right. looking okay. to replace discard with them in some way? Like because you want you think that reaction is going to be a better way to protect your combo, or um, okay, right? Is the so good. So a lot of times. What ends up happening is, for example, against, say, like a Delver deck, if I think I'm going to have to face an Edict, something like the Bajuka Bog is not, not really important. We're not trying to fight them. We're not trying to stop them from making a Gurmag Angler. If they get as far as making a Gurmag Angler, we're, we're racing them or we're dead. So, yeah. so we, can sh- we can sometimes shave on, like, can cut, like, an Urborg, a Bajuka Bog, and then maybe shave a Brainstorm, and then we can replace the, and then the Fluster Storms can come in there. Yeah, interesting. So, do you bring in you, Abrupt Decay as removal, like for the card Delver Secrets, or is that for problematic permanence? It's like probably more glitch. likely coming in for. It's probably coming in to blow up a needle. Yeah. Honestly, uh-huh. um, we probably don't bring in the grips versus something like Delver. Like we're bringing in uh, decays, needles. Uh, we probably bring in the Dryad Arbor for against the Edicts as well. Mm-hmm. And we may not bring in all the fluster storms. It might just be one, maybe two. Yeah. So the the full fluster storms are more likely to be against something like either miracles or something like a combo deck. Okay. Great. Um, Zach, did you have any uh, follow ups on that? I want to get one of Phil's questions. Yeah, in actually, I, I I was I was actually heading towards one of Phil's questions, um, which is what are the sideboard cards that that you're most wary of? Yeah, and I want to jump on that before you answer, Matt. Just saying, like, that was one I was going to ask. And, like, very specifically, like, if when we see a card like Dryad Arbor in your sideboard, and we're talking a lot about the card Diabolic Edicts and all these ways to work around it, is that, like, basically the bugaboo that, that the land that the TurboDex players are, are watching out for? So, I would say, generally, so, like, the, the main deck is a lot of times geared with things like Sajiri Step or in the, in the black-green build, the Safekeepers. Sort of like the level zero is uh, things like Caracas, Swords to Plowshare, the, the direct removal that we can stop them from targeting, targeting us in mm-hmm. one way or another. Yeah. The level, the level two, right, is the edict type of effect. So Safekeeper already helps with that by just being an extra body. A lot of players I've seen don't play out things like the el- once you're once you have enough lands out. You oftentimes don't necessarily need if you if you think you need to play around edicts they don't play out extra hex mages sometimes or they won't they won't play out an elvish spirit guide so I think that's a mistake that a lot of players make um, to play around the edict effects in the bug build it's a lot harder to play around the edict so we're looking to try to make them discard it a little mm-hmm. bit more um, we also retooled the fetches I ran a different uh, I ran polluted deltas and misties 
in Vegas because we were running Mishra's factory instead of Dry Dauber at that time. Mm-hmm. Which that attacks from a different angle because that's more against control. Yeah. Uh, right. Because you can use your stage to copy factories and beat down the factory. Yeah, just any other sideboard cards that you are particularly on the watch for in game two, game three? It's mostly edicts, uh, the ones that I kind of think of most. You, uh, you never know when somebody's going to leave up an edict effect, so you play, you play it the same way. Um, against decks like Maverick or Death and Taxes, uh, Blessed Alliance is one that you comes up now and again. So, if you are going to, you know, attack with your extra creatures, just in case. Do you see a lot of permanent-based hate for this deck? Do you th- or do you think you'll be playing more permanent-based hate for this deck? I think about Ensnaring Bridge for this. Right. Uh, so, against the, so, if you're up against the Stompy deck, you definitely want to be wary of, of um, like you said, Bridges. And also, things like the Sorcerer's Spyglass and Pithing Needle are definitely big. Um, you don't have to worry about Revoker as much, since Revoker can't stop the, the lands. It yeah. only mm-hmm. stops the Hexmage. One of the things that we kind of got in our favor recently was that with the new ruling on Blood Moon and Magus of the Moon, we can play a Dark Depths, and it comes in with no counters. If we have a way to get rid of the Moon Effect we can then immediately get a Merit Lage on their end step. To that end, we've seen that while sideboards used to be pretty stock of four Abrupt Decay, we've started to see a split with Decay and Crossing Grip. And that helps hedge a bit against other sorts of... Uh, we still can hit the same kinds of permanents like the Pithing Needles and the Spyglasses and, so, and the Bridges, but now we also have a way uh, to end, of, end with... Uh, only needing a single green mana, we can blow up a moon at the end of a turn and get a merit lage. Despite that, it is still a very rough matchup because a lot of times um, they can just they can disrupt that that aspect. And if they catch us, sort of you know with our pants down, we have to try to draw to that yeah. to that colored mana mm-hmm. source, and then yeah, like uh, a turn one, in the meantime. a turn one blood moon, which isn't impossible for that deck, is it has to be really rough for you. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Like, if we don't have a basic for like, it's to the point the bug deck I played in Vegas did not have a basic land in it. Ugh. I mean, you're, you're uh, relying on Mox Diamonds completely at that point. We were completely under uh, relying on Mox Diamonds or being able to float mana in response. Yeah. yeah. And then blow it up. And it's to the point uh, Tom's still not sure we want the basic forest. It, he, it might be that just like, you got to throw that match. <laughs> it's not really. Yeah, what I you want to do? I but think often it, that's that's not the worst thing in the world is to just decide like this is this match is is winnable but not like great, and and move on to bigger bigger targets. Change that flusterstorm to a swan song. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, and that, that would actually not help you at all. Then I'm gonna die to that gonna, bird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, gonna yeah they just block the guy. <laughs> They're gonna block it, and then you have already used your counter for the edict. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. Um. No, that's interesting, and uh, definitely, you know, it, it makes it, 
when you see in the other the other the black green build that it, it is a lot more resistant to the blood moon effects just from having the basic lands having the elvish spirit guides and petals that's like eight ways but i know they're one shot but if you know to expect it i feel like that this deck is getting some splash damage from the popularity the growing popularity of those turn one blood moon decks um i don't know if that's popular that you've seen you know locally or anything like that but uh it it comes in it comes and goes at a vogue. Um, we've got a guy that's uh, we have we have two folks that like I kind of think of as stompy players locally. Or sorry, I guess there's four, but I don't see those two of them as often. Mm-hmm. One of the guys is really taken to the steel stompy deck, um, and that one's not going to be blood mooning. Yeah, no, uh, it's not. No, no. no actually, um, blood moon work is the worst <laughs> when you're playing that deck. Yeah. Um, and Abyss doesn't really bother Merit Lage, so because yeah. it's not a sacrifice. Yeah. Um, but then the uh, the other guy, uh, his name's Eric Lambert. Uh, he's done all sorts of things from whether it's like the Eight Moon to Mog Stompy to Eldrazi. So depending on which one he's on, like it might be, I might have to worry about him on a particular day or not. But the Moon Stompy decks don't really they don't really show up too much here. Uh, unless it's at one of the bigger tournaments. So, um, um, yeah. what are some of the mistakes that people make against this deck? Uh, let's see. So this is a people, filled question. <laughs> so, so, so the, the the biggest mistake I see a lot of players make is they wasteland the Bayou. <laughs> so, the good- um, the uh, and what I mean by that is uh. What I mean by wastelanding the bayou is that a lot of players are so used to they've got almost like a it's like a built-in heuristic in their mind that like I have this wasteland it's supposed to take out a non-basic land that's a non-basic land I'm gonna do it um and I'm Delver players I'm looking at you yeah I mean I, <laughs> and, I, I and what I'm the, definitely and, guilty of this yeah <laughs> and depending on the texture of what you see like. I've definitely had hands from the depth side where if I go like Bayou Duress and I see the Wasteland um, and I can see like Wasteland Days or something like they might very well be doing something like drop the Wasteland, knock it out. Next turn, they're going to like Delver hold up Days against me and it doesn't really matter that it's a good matchup. I'm still going to get Delvered that game. But the so in game one, that's not as bad if you don't know what the opponent's doing. But once they know you're on depths, they should really be sandbagging their wastelands unless they've got a very aggressive, you know, delvering draw. They really should be holding those wastelands to stop your combo. Which leads me to the next mistake that I see a lot of players make, um, still specifically with wasteland, is that they will waste they will either initiate um with the wasteland at the wrong spot and you get the combo in response or because what you want to do is usually and and it feels dangerous and it it always feels dangerous uh is the way that a lot of players describe it to me you need to wait until they've let the dark depths lose its counters and there's only one depths in play and the trigger that makes merit is on the stack a lot of players i think are worried that that point is too late but that is actually the perfect time to deal with the Dark Depths trigger because it's a, there's an intervening if clause. So if they Wasteland at that point, that you can't actually sacrifice the Depths during the resolution of the ability and get the Merit Lage. 
So if they say you go to make your merit lage and they wasteland the dark depths in response to the thespian stage, probably that can combo the next turn. Yeah. Yeah. They still have the stage. Right. And it's, I think with the, the, the dark depths play you're talking about, is especially nerve-wracking on Magic Online when you never quite know if you've passed that trigger. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, but the, no, it's a good it's a good point to make that that is the right time to do it based on how all the clauses work. Um, Wasteland is it? I mean that Wasteland is a is a format staple, and this deck is is pounding right through it. Um, do you think that if you're a Wasteland deck, it's worth saying I need to make sure my Wastelands are alive? And I, therefore, like, against this deck, even though it's an indestructible creature, you're still bringing in Abrupt Decay or Ancient Grudge to hit the Pithy Needles that are on it. I mean, I think that's still the right move. I mean, because until, pl- until the Depths player makes the Merit Lage, if you've got a Delver down and you're getting that Delver flipped and you're getting in, like, you're getting the clock part of it down. You just have to make sure that you can disrupt them at the right time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and similarly, like I said, in game ones, if you don't know yet that they're on depths, if you like I said, if the Delver deck's doing what it's normally doing, it can be okay to go on the you know get your Delver down, wasteland their you know whatever non-basic they're casting stuff off of. But if they lead on something like an uh, if they lead on something like an Urborg, it can be real tempting to blow up that Urborg because. Yeah. If you see the Urborg, that's usually pretty proof positive that you're about to get Merit Laged. But you're better off, like, if you blow the Wasteland and you only have one, if you blow that Wasteland on the Urborg, like, for all you know, they're going to Elvish Spirit Guide and that Urborg is going to become now a Dark Depths or something. Like, you know. Uh, so I think that in general, in game ones, you can still kind of, you can go with your heuristic and you can pop their non-basic land whatever it is but i think once you know they're on depths you want to be you really need to hold that wasteland because that's your best form of interaction as the delver deck mm-hmm. there are other sorts of decks something like a stone blade i think stone blade could be more more free to blow up whatever land they want because they've got the swords to plowshares to back it up and they often have force of will to protect that sort sort of to you know protect against a crop rotation or something like that yeah right uh, what about counter spells against this deck? I've I've found I've always go both ways on this, where it's like, should I bring in more my my fluster storms as a sort of fair blue deck because it counters anything that gets you a land, or counter or and also thinking counter spells are dead against land drops. <laughs> right, right. So and the, and you kind of hit on it there. You, you have to be if you're going to bring in your counter magic, you have to be prepared to deal with. You know, sort of, I call it the one, two, three, the Urborg, Depths, Stage, Kill You yeah, type of thing. Um, I think that if you're also bringing in things like Edicts, having some amount of counter magic to protect against discard spells taking your Edicts, um, I usually take that as a telegraph. Like, if I go turn one Duress and you force it, I'm going to put you on Diabolic Edict in hand. Yeah, or pretty much like 95% yeah. of the time, I'm assuming that's what's going down. Um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't still do it, because otherwise I'm taking your 
diabolical. Right. Or I'm going yeah. to let you have it and I'm going to play around it and take something more important. Because that's always got to be the best when you leave them with their edict and you play through it. Yeah, right. Interesting. Zach, anything you want to jump in on? No. I, again, I, I, I'm just kind of like taking this in. Well, I'm out, all... of, I'm out of questions. I, yeah. I just wanted to... Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I mean... Great job. I don't know if you want to have any final thoughts, but, uh, you know, we got a lot of great information there. I'm almost, like, <laughs> overwhelmed. I guess I guess one of the questions I have is, do you think, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't think that Rug Delver necessarily preys on this deck, but obviously Rug Delver is not well positioned in, in the meta right now. And do you think the lack of that deck being around as, as like, a premier tempo deck, uh, which, which plays at least has a pretty good gameplay against your deck. Do you think that allows for, for a bit of a hole for this, for this deck to sort of uh, exploit? So uh, kind of like I said, uh, I think way back at the beginning, uh, I, I think the, so the different Delver decks kind of, they all play a little bit differently versus this mm -hmm. deck. I think Grixis is the one that's kind of cold to this deck the most because yeah. they kind of have to rely on the edicts um, or like flip a Delver and then hope to God that, you know, security okay. stuff doesn't show up yeah. in some form or fashion. Um, Rug can definitely stall a bit more because it has the stifles. I guess Grixis with stifles would also be able to play a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, and then Bug can be very tricky because if Bug can stop you, if they get like a, uh, if they can stop your Merit Lage the first time or somehow they maneuver you into needing to do it, sorcery speed they can like liliana it away mm -hmm. or they get like a tomb stalker and a flip delver and then that's a bit awkward yeah so um and that's kind of the way i rank it like you know according to best to worst that i want to see i'd rather see grixis and then rug and then bug is kind of my it's not terrible but it's like it's the game it's a much more interesting yeah, there's uh, there's a there's a lot more uh, uh, play with that deck, especially after you've resolved your uh, twenty twenty uh, versus versus Rug or Grixis. Right. That that deck has has some things it can do. It can stall out for a couple of turns while while you know it figures out if it wants to block with a you know with a three two flyer and then cast Liliana and and get rid of your guy. Yeah, Grixis and Rug are pretty much the same. If if you make the twenty twenty like. If they don't have the edict, and then against Rug, once they have, once you have the twenty twenty, you basically you either swing once or twice, yeah. and they're they're dead either way. Yeah, as long as you don't have a forest on the board after sideboard, like you're pretty good against Rug. Right, right. Um, well, so I think as long as the meta is heavy in the Grixis and the pile, I think that I like this deck a lot. Yeah. Um, with lands, um, surging in popularity, some it does make it. It means you're gonna have more meaningful interesting interactive games because the lands uh and the mirror as well are the land the uh, versus lands and then versus the mirror it's very interesting because you're both dark depths decks and a lot of times the secret is to not play your dark depths <laughs> uh yeah, to try to play off the it. opponent's <laughs> one it's uh i'll be honest i'm not really i've not played the mirror enough to be able to talk super sensibly about that one, because usually it was just me or one other guy in the room, and uh, a lot of times we sort of ended up on opposite sides of the of the of the bracket going up, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, I've lost the lands and I've beat lands, and it's an interesting, thought-provoking matchup pretty much every time in some fashion. But I got to But those are like pretty fifty-fifty decks. Uh, same. 
against combo decks, it's kind of 50-50 also. Like, the, uh, and it's kind of depends if, like, the fast combo, you're racing them. And even, like, the uh, food chain alert type stuff, you really are just kind of racing them as well. Yeah. Um, they have annoying, uh, flyers that get in your way and they still tend to have force of will if you want to try to get your crop rotation to sajiri step through uh which is kind of annoying i imagine alluren's actually really irritating if they get the cavern harpy down <laughs> there's been, there's actually been so many times against alluren i haven't i used to be oh, who is it um not clashed uh cartesian is yeah. the uh mtgo user <laughs> and there was so many times where i'd i'd uh end of his turn make a merit lage and then he goes off and kills me, oh. in speed because it's learn, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? So, um, to... and, I'll, and I'll think I'm being, I'll think I'm being clever by end of turn, play hex mage for free, make the dude, and then he's like, oh no, I just have it anyway. I'm like, oh. all right. <laughs> he was gonna so, do it in your attack stuff, otherwise. You need to oh. play. Uh, <laughs> one one of the great ways that this deck could uh, get around, you know, that like blocker for like a turn or two, you know, where they're like block, okay, whatever. Or they have infinite blockers, uh, uh, each turn. Would be to just play a one-up berserk, man. There you go. They play the right <laughs> um, of consumption, right? Well, yeah, I was about to say um, something that um, the source thread and the Discord have. I and Tom have not really gotten on board with this as of yet, um, but neither of us has really put a ton of man hours into this. Is this right of consumption sideboard sometimes with a besage you, sometimes not? I would say if you have more miracles in the in your meta you might want the besaju so uh, what does right of consumption do for for those of us at home that don't have that aren't listening to this uh with the, i got the it route? you got it nate yeah, one in a black uh one in a black sorcery right as an additional cost sacrifice a creature uh, uh it deals damage to target creature or player maybe just nope, pl- player, player player or planeswalker now player or planeswalker Right, equal to that creature's power, and you gain that much life. Wow! So it's like a so fling. it's a it's a fling it, it's, that drains in black. <laughs> it's a, okay. it's, but it cannot. But what's important though is there are corner cases, I suppose, um, that you cannot hit creatures with it. I'm not sure. Maybe there's like a corner case where you'd want to like fling it or write a hex mage for some reason. I don't know. Um, but yeah, generally the 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 premise of this card is. Against decks that would just like swords to plowshares you, you sort the idea is that you main phase, make merit lage, and then with while you still have priority, you write of consumption and you kill them. Yeah, that's it's pretty sweet so, actually. <laughs> it, you know, it sounds sweet in theory. The what the what what uh what's some of the sort of the right detractors, if you like, um, is that. The way that I view it, and I know not everybody views it this way, but the way I view it is, right is a crutch for a matchup that, while tough, can still be won by playing the deck normally. Yeah. So, sort of the the level the kind of again like the 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 level zero is, it sucks to play against swords to plowshares, and uh, so I want to just kill them and respond kill them instead. Well, the level, the next level up to that is the player with Swords to Plowshares can just, in response, because it takes you a couple of turns, you're not lands, right? You can't just yeah. put the Merit Lage back together next turn. It takes a couple turns. So the the good Swords to Plowshares player is just going to Swords their mom or their Snapcaster yeah. 
or whatever, then you're gonna, gonna do survive the whole thing all over again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you've got you well well yeah, because you don't even have a merit lage, you sacrificed it to your right. For sure. Or they're gonna counterspell your right of consumption, and then you're really boned. Oh, so boned. So which which and that that's why people, some people run besage you for against those sorts of matchups. But yeah, the the savvy swords player will just play around the right by increasing their life total above. Because against something like miracles or something like death and taxes, their life total may not be under twenty at this yeah. point. So, um, yeah. So that's not so so they're going to be able to save themselves. So then so then the next level is well, I should just be able to play around stuff instead of using this card to try to crutch it so yeah. i don't know that that's my opinion on it but it's uh there's a lot of players that are that are trying it out and that have success with it and i'm just kind of thinking that their opponents are not as good but yeah no i, I think i think you're right that, that that this card doesn't uh isn't necessary i mean it, it, it the, what you were saying before like the the trick back in the day with extended when people were playing tricks like you know give your donate a uh illusions of grandeur to your opponent was to play funeral charm or ebony charm to gain one life like and that would that would be the game like your opponent was like oh I can't it's not do it it's again. not funeral charm i don't believe <laughs> no it's ebony charm ebony charm would yeah. let you uh gain one life and they lose one life and you you still have you know one life which is enough to like go and do your own thing as well but yeah i i think that the, this card might be a little too cute honestly I tell you what I have done locally when I first picked up the bug depth deck is I cut the fourth duress for a funeral charm because your herborg gives them swamps. Oh, swamp walk. <laughs> yeah. Or, <That's> or, awesome. <laughs> or if they're at 19 and they want to get clever and they're like, Oh, well I'm just going to gain two life with my death right shaman. I'm like, Oh, how Hump about him. a 22, 19? Yep. Hump him. <laughs> And then you still have some random corner cases of like you can do an instant speed discard yep. occasionally if it matters, but yeah, yeah. the old that was, piracy it, charm trick. That was that was a little that was a little too cute to take to uh, to take to the GP with, but I think for uh, for local metas like go ahead and get them with it. Oh they yeah, won't see it coming. it's also like one of those things where like you can make your opponents fear your weird sideboard cards at a at a local that you can't do at at like you know a larger event. No one's going to. Be like, oh man, but he runs funeral charm, so I can't do that. I've got to try this, and you might not even have it in your hand and gain some sort of value off of that. Yep. You know, I used to do that uh, with uh, yep. uh, helm of obedience. I used to play helm of obedience on my rug sideboard because I was sick of people bringing <laughs> rest in peace against me, and people uh, just I was stopped reverse helm. Um, how are you ever getting the four lands to cast that thing? You've got tons of cantrips <laughs> in your deck, man. You can just the deck change your play game rest plan. In peace. Don't make don't attack your mana except yeah. for. Uh, well, the other thing that you can, the other thing is, I was thinking uh, Harmonic Convergence for you, yeah. Zach. Oh, Harmonic Convergence was a classic. Uh, There's a guy who played Enchantress, and and uh, you know, for a while we were playing Back to Nature, and he played, he started playing uh, Replenish, and I was like, oh, I know a card from back in the day that was really good against Replenish. So he had all his all his enchantments. He's doing his dance with his enchantments, and I was like, well, I'll cast Harmonic Convergence, and he he like took a minute to read the card, and he was like, why? Why is yeah, this I'm gonna read that card right now. So Harmonic Convergence <laughs> is a three mana instant that oh, returns no. all all enchantments to the top of your opponent's deck. Oh, but that in meant any, that in Zach's any order they choose. Yeah. I bet that oh. Zach's enchantment removal slot was uh was Harmonic Convergence. I could always just imagine you like That's like a stunted growth on crack. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Well it against was... the chain, I was imagining Harmonic Convergencing uh, like a sneak attack. 
in response to a fetch or something. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, that's gross. <laughs> yeah, but well, that guys, was, we got a thing. Yeah. Uh, I go think on. we got. I mean, I, I, I was saying I've, I've been traveling all day, so I think we about to wrap it up. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, I I think we've, we've we've gotten a lot a lot of information off of, uh, of Matt. So uh, yeah, thanks for coming, Matt. We appreciate it. Yeah, just uh, one last little thing on uh, before parting. So I know yeah. that uh, a lot of people have seen these tin fins depth decks uh, crop up. Those are not turbo, but you should be afraid. <laughs> and they are called Ice Station Zebra. This is the official name. Ice Station Zebra? It must be a C-Lab reference if it's a fins variant. These okay. are the rules. Oh, okay. My so. son got a my son went to an Easter egg hunt and one of the Easter eggs had a free kids lunch at Applebee's in it. <laughs> so I had to You had to go to an Applebee's. I, like, I had to go to an Applebee's because I was like, look, I'm not turning down a free lunch. Yeah, yeah. So I took him to, to Applebee's and I was telling him all about grizzle bees and tin fins. <laughs> and he was just staring. He was just like, Can I have the iPad? Like, what Whoa. are we doing? No, it Matt, sounds great. like you've was... gotten to a you got into a discussion that I have with my wife all the time where she's staring blankly at me about why I'm talking about this random internet meme. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, Matt, uh, it was great to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, you know, we love seeing you, or I love seeing you with uh, the Paragon chat and you know, all over the internet. So uh, you know, just uh thanks a lot. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, it was uh it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Or week. Yeah, I have a good, week, a good week. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we recorded early this week, which was great. Yeah. But yeah. All right. All right. Are, you gonna, are you guys going to do Phil's Audible pitch, <laughs> or does he have to be here for that? <laughs> no, we're yeah, going to have yeah, to we'll, use an old one. We'll, yeah, we'll <laughs> use an old one for him. If you'd like a free audiobook and start up a trial with Audible, you can go to audibletrial.com/eternaldirtles and they'll hook you up with a free book and you'll be supporting the show. Thanks so much.